All right, everybody, welcome back to the Crypto 101 podcast. Uh, we're joined by a, an expert today in the blockchain gaming space, uh, Kieran Warwick, who's the co-founder of Alluvium. Uh, welcome to the Crypto 101 podcast. Thanks, Bryce. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Yeah, we're excited. Uh, we're, we're, we're doubly excited that you made it. Um, you could have bailed for sure. You're a little under the weather, so we appreciate your time. Um, and we'll uh, we'll keep it to the point. No worries. All good. <laughs> Aaron, you're you're hanging in there. Uh, I am, and I'm really excited for this conversation today because I have a confession to make. Uh, mm. I have an addiction. It started in the bear market as I tried to cope with watching all these assets become devalued. Uh, the gateway was Legos, which uh, quickly dissolved into games. And I begin dumping the small fortune I made in the last bull market into this game that is uh, it's a mobile game. Uh, it's basically a, centered around the Naruto universe. Yet, all the money that I've poured into this game, I can't use these items or the ninjas or anything else to earn a yield back for me. And What's I've been saying we need called? a marketplace. We need to put these things on chain. Come on, devs, like get your head out of your ass. Like where's the future in this gaming ecosystem for the money I've invested in it if it's not on chain? And it's become increasingly more frustrating to play than it is fun because it's so far behind the time. So I want to educate myself on Alluvium and blockchain gaming so I can tell the developers of this game exactly what they need to do to keep me as a customer. And just to clarify, the game that you just described was not Alluvium. No, no. What, what's so that game We're going to learn about playing? Alluvium and what these guys should be doing. Um, and okay. Alluvium is going to serve as a shining example for blockchain gaming. Love it. Well, yeah, I mean, how is, how is blockchain gaming different than any other kind of gaming like what Pizza Mind's talking about? Um, why, why is he so frustrated? So typically what happens in a Web2 game is uh, two things. You either do a combination or you do one or, one or the other. And that is you, you pour your time and effort into a game, sometimes thousands and thousands of hours, or you pour thousands and thousands of dollars, which is what it sounds like Pizza Mind has, uh, has done. <laughs> so it is definitely both. <laughs> and what you're, what you're frustrated at is the fact that you believe that because you have bought those assets with your hard-earned money and uh, or you've earned those assets through gameplay, skillful, competitive, you know, grinding, whatever whatever the, the style might be, you've put in your time. Now, you know, time is a very valuable resource. So it's uh, it's not a crazy concept to think you should be able to then do something with those assets, right? Now, you, you mentioned a marketplace and, uh, you know, Typically, in these mainstream games, they're gated marketplaces, which means they're an in-game currency that you cannot take out of the game. So they'll allow you to uh, to input, but they won't allow you to extract. And uh, that is the fundamental difference between a Web 2 and a Web 3 game is 
we will give you verifiable ownership of uh, almost every single asset that we have uh, in in game. And you can do that what you please. You can trade it. You can hold on to it because you think it might appreciate it in value. You can sell it. You can do, you can do whatever you want as you please because we believe that uh, we need to remove that frustration from gamers because it's not just you. There's millions of gamers out there that feel exact same. And uh, and that's the beauty of uh, of what blockchain games. Bring. That's awesome. Uh, I was just saying that's so exciting. You know, whether these Web two developers listen or not, tell us about Alluvium and what that game is about. Maybe we'll all just head over there. <laughs> well, let's let's hope so. That's the that's the whole idea. So, what we're doing is uh, we're, we're taking it one step further. The the other additional. Uh, feature of blockchains is the ability for those assets to not just be owned by the end user, the gamer, but for them to also be interoperable. So what that means is you can take one asset in our universe and you can bring it into another game and then another game and so forth and so forth as we build out this universe, right? So not just a situation where you might be playing Let's call it something in Mario, right? And you you work your way all the way up. You've got all the items, all of that kind of stuff. And then you want to go bring that into Super Smash Brothers, which is inside the same franchise. They don't let you do that. Whereas inside of Alluvium, you'll be able to uh, build up your assets that you collect. You'll be able to get items like weapons and armor and uh, all of these really cool sorts of things and instead of it just sitting there and dying when you finish playing or whatever you can then take that into our next game and so we've got three games inside of this alluvium universe that we're building right now all three are in either alpha or beta stage so that means that you know privately people are playing they're giving us feedback the first one is alluvium zero which is a mobile game uh, similar to like Sim City, if you ever played that back in the day. And uh, so your your job there is to essentially build out your industrial complex. And what you're trying to do is extract as much fuel and resources out of your land on from from building out that uh, that complex. Now, what you do with that fuel is you take that into the overworld. Now, the overworld is uh, our second game, and that's where it's more Pokemon-like, where you've got 200-plus creatures that are roaming around seven stunning, beautiful regions that we've uh, we've created. And uh, your job is to go around and capture these creatures. And then our third game is uh, Arena, where you go and battle these different creatures using your ranger and uh, that's where it gets super strategic competitive there's an esports element to that and so the entire universe is cohesive and seamlessly connected love it and it's one of those things where people could play they could earn and so it's like if people are already spending their time gaming um this is kind of now a new template if you will or a new 
business model. Like people could just play games and earn. And so when I was a kid, I would play RuneScape all the time. And my dad would kind of jokingly call it ruin your lifescape uh, <laughs> because it's like I would just spend time doing that and, you know, not doing my homework or whatever. But now kids are actually earning money from it. And I think it's going to be a big uh, wave of the future. Um, do you kind of see like from a consumer standpoint, um, like I know Axie Infinity, people in the Philippines were able to like earn income during the pandemic and stuff. But is it a pipe dream uh, or is it going to be supplemental income or is it just going to like how do you envision the economy unfolding from the consumer's eyes? So there's a couple of things there, right? Like you you need to build a sustainable economy, right? Like now, mm-hmm. I don't believe that we've seen that yet inside play to earn games. So we've had right. we've had uh, a couple of, of games that have had decent traction, million plus users, and you see a, a huge inflation of uh, assets within their economy. And after a while, there's not enough consumers on one end. There's not enough gamers coming in to supplement the amount of inflation of these assets. So what happens is the the assets start being devalued over time. And then you slowly get to this point where the time isn't worth the effort. And then you have this massive drop off where everyone's starting to go, okay, now I'm not going to play anymore. Then you have this massive sell-off. So you get this up and then you get this massive down, right? And so the idea is that, and, and the reason is every single person that was playing those games or 99.9% of the people that were playing those games was not because they were having fun. It was because they wanted to extract value out of the economy. So we believe in order to fix that, you A, need to have a fun game where people are willing to play it without earning any money, without being able to, you know, sell assets. If you just had a game that was to compete with traditional mainstream games where fun is the the only value that you can get out of it, you need to be able to, to stand up, right? So, so that's the first thing. The second thing is you need to have different mechanisms inside of your tokenomics to allow those assets to appreciate, not depreciate over time. And so mm-hmm. we've got a few different mechanisms. Uh, one of them is uh, seasons. So for instance, in our overworld, you're only able to capture those 200 creatures over a 12-month period. Now, at the end of that 12 months, you'll never be able to capture them again. And how, why that matters in our case is in the arena, it's highly strategic, right? So you need different characters to create a powerful composite in in terms of your your actual team that you bring in to beat people in in player versus player and if you say come into the ecosystem in the second or third year we're already into our set three at that point and you might need a asset an alluvial our creatures from set one and you think okay how am i going to do that some guy or some girl two years ago, caught that asset that you need. And the only way that you can get it is by buying it from them on the marketplace. So that's just one of many, many different uh, tokenomic 
things that we've uh, put in place to ensure that the economy is sustainable over time, and more importantly, our assets appreciate over time. That's really smart. Are you guys the only ones that are kind of doing this in the gaming space? Or is blockchain gaming as a sector really growing and we should be you know, expecting a huge wave of new fun and profitable games in the next few years? Where are we at as far in terms of an industry? Yeah, definitely, definitely not, right? Like it's it's early, it's early days, but at the same time, I'm a huge believer in this space. I've outside of my role in Alluvium, a hobby of mine is uh, is investing. I'm uh, I'm a big fan of uh, of angel investing. Eventually, you know, we'll turn that into a VC and 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 go from there, but. I've made probably 75 to, to 85 gaming, solely gaming investments in the past two years. And not every single one of them is, is going to make it, obviously. But there will be, I would say, four or five out of that group. And, you know, I haven't invested in everything. So uh, it's definitely building, but... The thing about building games that people don't realize is it's not like a DeFi protocol where you can build it in six months and then create a V1 and then have V2, V3, V4, and you know keep on expanding it out like that. That base game might take you three years. And then, yes, you can put an expansion on top of it, but that's probably going to take you another year and a half or two years to get that expansion. So it's just a, a much longer build cycle than your typical crypto project. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. How do you choose what games to invest in or take a pass on when, like you said, the game's years out from even being ready to play? Teams. You got you to gotta invest in the team, right? Like that's, that's one of the only pieces of uh, the puzzle that I focus on because it's so important to look at, okay, what's their previous track record? Where have these guys worked before? How many of them are there? That's, that's another big thing because 
it's very, very hard to, to build a game. At one point, we had something like 220 people in uh, in our studio, which we built up over a 12-month period. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of competitors that were sitting there as well saying, oh, we, we you know, we also have 150-plus, 200, and we're, we're super transparent with our team with our build without you know we leak almost everything as as we're building because we're a DAO and uh I look for those red flags where people say you know we've got a huge team or we've got a really skilled team and then you look into it and it's like oh actually you're outsourcing to this web 2 studio who is going to be charging you three times as much they're going to, they, you know, they don't have the care factor there. They don't, they're not earning any tokens from it or anything like that. And so it's going, that, that will, you know, maybe it does get built, but it's probably going to take, you know, two or three years longer than what they're saying. So I just, I just hone in on that one thing, the team, and then ensure that they have enough runway and funding. And if, if those two things fall into place, I usually, you know, give it a shot. And, and do you ever look at them as um, complementary to Alluvium? Like, do you ever invest in things thinking like, oh, man, we could integrate this technology or this could be a, you know, a, a sub universe or something of, of what you guys are building? Yeah. So I've, I've obviously from an infrastructure standpoint, I've invested in quite a few things like uh, there's an NFT shorting platform that I've invested in. Uh, there's a, uh, you say we- NFT shorting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> tell, tell us more about that. Yeah. It's called dive. And, uh, it's so that that's coming out. They're doing the public sale, uh, pretty soon. I think they're just wrapping up their seed sale now. Cool. It's, uh, it's run by a really smart dude who came to me and he said, and like that concept just makes sense, right? Like pe- there's yeah. so many NFT collections that have just gone from, from, a huge valuation where you think, well, that's not sustainable. Like it's a penguin or it's a, you know, it's some kind of crazy animal that does nothing. It has no utility or whatever. And so, uh, yeah, it makes sense that it's, it's, it's potentially going to go down. So that's things like that. And I mean, I, NFT shorting platform, probably not the best thing (laughs) to, to mention first, but there's other infrastructure like, uh, wallets and uh, different uh, chains and uh, and L2 solutions and things like that that can definitely complement what we're building. In terms of other games, uh, I obviously I do invest in other games, but not so much to integrate with Alluvium. It's more, and the reason is that interoperability to do it inside of our own universe is already ridiculously hard and that's that's that w- if we can pull that off that will be seen by gamers in in mainstream if that seamless ability to move your characters all the way through let's say we build a Mario Kart style game and you can take your uh, Atlas NFT and then just go to the racetrack and you start racing around against your friends that experience will be mind blowing for a traditional gamer. It's not easy to do that, but it's easier than us integrating with say 10 other games in the space that have different standards that are on different blockchains. It's, it, it just makes it 
another level of complicated and uh, we just don't think it's needed right now. Yeah, some of the uh, the people ask me, they go, you know, Bryce, you know, we're, we're pretty excited about NFTs and metaverse, but what's the crossover between the two? And the analogy that I kind of had was like a metaverse is like a house and NFTs are like the bricks that build the house. Um, do you guys have NFTs in your platform? Is, is that like how you guys think of it? Like Alluvium is a metaverse and NFTs are like little building blocks within that metaverse? Yeah, so we, I mean, we, we think that if it, you want to call it the, the metaverse, the metaverse is the, the, uh, the thing that encapsulates all of these projects that have digital assets, right? NFTs across the board, right? From things in like the sandbox, from a uh, digital collection of, uh, you know, sound, of video, all, all of this stuff lives inside of the, the metaverse. We have a universe inside of that metaverse, right? Like, so now our universe is uh, filled with NFTs. So we have collectibles across the board. So our fuel system is NFTs. Our, uh, uh, sorry, is a, um, is a, is a currency. Our, uh, all our characters from the actual alluvials themselves, the armor that they wear, the weapons that they have, the skins that they have is all NFTs. And, uh, yeah, that, that lives inside of our universe. And that's the, the whole idea is if we go and build another house over here, you can take the same building block and go and, and fit it into that house and it'll, it, it, it will be activated. That's really cool. How did you guys go around choosing which blockchain to build on top of? Uh, we did a lot of research early on where uh, we, so we, we were never going to go away from Ethereum. We think that users security is paramount. They've got the most amount of validators on, uh, on Ethereum. There's, there's the most, amount of uh, developers. It's just the the most robust blockchain for us by, you know, uh, a, a large sum. And, and so we didn't want to go off Ethereum, but we knew that we couldn't use Ethereum, right? Like the, the transaction throughput was just not there. So we decided to uh, start looking at layer two solutions. And this was back like two years ago when, when things were uh, very, very early days. And uh, we had a bunch that we looked at, but Immutable was uh, was the, the front runner. And the reason is they don't, uh, you still get that, that security from being on top of the ETH uh, blockchain, but you also get zero gas fees, you get sub-second transaction times, and they'd also ran with, uh, they, they'd also build Gods Unchained prior, which was a, uh, a, a very, very popular Web3 game, had its issues, it's still going on now, but, uh, you know, it's a TCG that competes with Hearthstone, but uh, so they, they all of the pain points that they had from building on top of Ethereum and then eventually uh, their own platform, they 
they got over those hurdles. And on top of that, they are, they're based in Sydney. So for us to be able to go and access these guys in the same time zone, it just, it just made sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and now I want to go back to something that you had mentioned. Um, you said that you were a DAO, um, a decentralized autonomous organization. I just wanted to kind of unpack that a little bit. What what does that mean um, for how the game gets developed um, relative to how a normal web studio or game studio would develop a game? So it's pretty interesting. It's, it's basically a system where uh, we came out with a, a solid roadmap and, and white paper and said, this is what we want to build. And you get a whole bunch of people that then invest in, in that vision and, uh, and, and that project on the basis that they're going to go out and build what's, what's said in the, in the white paper. Then anything outside of that that we call improvements, whether they be configuration changes to things like our staking, uh, any of our contracts, stuff stuff that's blockchain related, maybe our fee structure uh, is one thing, and we call them in, uh, configuration uh, change proposals. And then there's straight up improvement proposals, which is a very wide definition for anything that that a community member or ILV holder believes will make the ecosystem better. And that can come from the blockchain side of it. That can come from the finance side of it. That can come from the games themselves, uh, the addition of characters, the balancing in the game. All of these different things can be proposed by a token holder. And if the council, the council is made up of five different individuals at any given time, and they're voted in by those token holders. If the council votes yes on any of these proposals, then we as the developers need to then go out and implement whatever that improvement proposal is. So it's it, it seems a little bit cumbersome and oh, like how it's gonna get in the way of you being able to build out the game or, or whatever. But for us, we've had a pretty fluid experience for uh, for the most part. With the, I guess, hellstorm of nonsense coming out of the U.S. regulator talking about literally anything but Bitcoin being a security, does this affect the blockchain gaming space at all since these items are getting tokenized and being put on chain versus if they weren't and just living if in their Web2 space? There'd be no conversation about this whatsoever. Is there any concern coming from you or is it being based in Australia? Uh, you know, whatever they do in America, it just really doesn't matter. Not so much. Right. So, so the whole idea is to be truly decentralized. So we're always working towards this, this model where there is no, way there is no one particular jurisdiction that can actually regulate what this is because there's it's it's essentially a whole bunch of people in our case 130 people distributed across 35 different countries in the world there's no way that you can enforce 
any sort of regulation on this uh, on this entity or or this organization or whatever you want to call it, because and and we need to move to that that stage. And we're getting similar heat in Australia at the moment, where uh, you know we we've, we've been trying to work very very closely with the legislators over here to say, hey. What what are we? Can you define what a DAO is? And uh, it just it's just not happening, right? Like it's just getting it's it's just been a thing that's been said for the last three years now that hey we're going to work it out, we're going to pass something, then the government changes, it all goes back to square one, and then we're here again, and we're like we're we're trying to work with you guys. It's not like we want to to break any rules or anything like that. But at the end of the day, it's a very complex system when you have this entity that is sort of floating in the air. And if one jurisdiction says, hey, we're not going to allow you to run anymore, we're going to come and seize your computers or or whatever it might be. We've got six people in America, right? Like out of 150 people, that's not going to do it. If you do it in Australia, we've got, you know, what seven or eight people in Australia, right? So you're you you're not you you might cut off, uh, let's call it an octopus, and you're cutting off one of these tentacles, but it will grow back in a different jurisdiction, and so it's very very hard to regulate something like that. However, there are different jurisdictions that are popping up where we're looking into where they have recognized what a DAO is and they're saying, you know, we, we want to somehow govern this and, and protect its users and whatever. So uh, I don't know. It's, it's a little bit uh, yeah. a, a new concept. Yes, definitely, definitely a tough call. Um, but I think we should, you know, we could go ahead and we could switch gears. I'm curious just about your opinion um, as well on, on DeFi. I know you're, you're pretty plugged in on, um on DeFi, i think your brothers with uh the with kane right that's your brother or you just fortuitous last name yeah no no we're, we're brothers yeah it, that's pretty cool so it's like your parents have uh two sons who both have like billion dollar protocols in the crypto space which is pretty cool awesome. it kind of reminds me of actually <laughs> like uh the emmanuel brothers it's like one brother was like a, a doctor one was uh, the guy who wrote Obamacare. One guy was the head of CAA, and they they're all brothers. Uh, they all grew up probably going around the, the dinner table talking. There's actually four of us. So there's oh wow yeah there's three in Alluvium. So we're all all three brothers are the co-founders of Alluvium. One of them does the art. One of them does the game design, and I do more the the business operations and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, Kane's in his own protocol, but he was our first investor in, in Alluvium. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a weird story. What do you think some of the next, um, you know, kind of big trends of DeFi are going to be? Like we had the yield farming craze and that kind of stuff. Um, really, Synthetics was one of the early adopters of like liquidity mining and incentivizing people uh, to provide liquidity and earn Synthetics tokens. Are you kind of seeing any new big trend coming out that might generate a lot of hype? 
I think derivatives uh, are going to be uh, a big new narrative. Uh, derivatives, particularly on layer two solutions, I think that was one of the biggest friction points for DeFi protocols back in the summer is you would get these huge yields, which, you know, maybe they're sustainable, maybe they're not. But when you're talking about uh, trying to claim these yields, you know, I, I remember some transactions were costing me like $700 in gas to, uh, to be able to claim these, these rewards from some of these protocols. It's not really sustainable. So I think if, uh, if, if the bull market comes back and we can start using these trading protocols and uh, they're, they're done on all the, the different layer two solutions that, uh, that, are, that are coming out and even some, some of the other uh, alt chains that have uh, pretty seamless experiences now, I think we're going to see, yeah, another huge run in that space. Yeah, I'm really curious to see uh, what Coinbase's new layer two thing that they built, how that kind of rolls out if people are actually interested in throwing liquidity over there. Do you have any hot takes on it or? Look, I I think it's the, I, I definitely think that it's the future, right? Like I, there, it's a, it's a big win for, for ETH and, uh, I think it shows again that they're not willing to compromise their users' security. It's it's you know they don't want to choose a, a chain that can potentially go down or whatever. I think Solana just yesterday it was just kind of, down again the other day. The eighteen hour outage because their validators need oh, to man, it's bad like, over there. coordinate on Discord or something like that. Like that kind of stuff is is pretty crazy to to me. So. Uh, I think they're making the right call, but I think it, as well, they're trying to, if we're, if we're going to get to that mainstream adoption and you come across, like I remember it was when I came back to the space in 2020 and even like, it seems crazy now, which is insane. <laughs> if a transaction was costing you like $60, right? like imagine going into the bank and saying, I want to transfer money from my savings account to my checking account and they're like that's going to cost you 66 dollars and if you want to do it a little bit faster we'll charge you 98 dollars." and it's like what yeah it'd be horrible <laughs> that's not really a good ux right like that's that sort of experience is kind of crazy but uh so i think everyone is uh, that the layer two narrative will be the next bull run and i think we saw a little bit of it but those uh, layer two solutions are getting a lot faster now. The onboarding process is a lot better. The ability to, to port back to uh, layer one is becoming faster. So I yeah. think that is going to be the new narrative on top of uh, these these different trading platforms. But, you know, what, what Coinbase is doing, they've got millions of users. It's, uh, it's, it's certainly bullish for the space. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of excited. There's some of these bridges that are out there um, that I think are pretty exciting because, you know, with all these new chains coming out and layer twos and stuff, you're going to need to have liquidity to be able to facilitate, you know, quickly across. So, you know, one, ones that I've been researching a lot are Synapse and uh, Stargate. Yeah. Um, and and those are those are two really you know I've got exposure over there full disclosure but I think that they've got a, a really cool technical solutions 
Um, but again, also bridges have been the number one uh, hacked sort of uh, piece of infrastructure, like in like at all, like it's crazy. You know the Ronin hack and yeah, was, the wormhole I, hack. Ronin was, but uh, actually the wormhole hack. Do you hear they they just recovered? They did a little counter exploit against the wormhole hacker. No, I didn't hear that. Yeah, jump got the uh, the three hundred million dollars back uh, basically, and the way they did it was. They got like some court order from like the UK and Oasis, which is like the app front end app on MakerDAO, basically like in their smart contract, like uh, coded something in order to steal the funds from the hacker's wallet uh, or from his like CDP and, and, and put it into Trump's wallet. I'm like, oh, shit, like that's pretty crazy. So there's a big discussion around like, hey, is it still decentralized? Is yeah, you know, what does that, that mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. decentralized maxis and we go crazy over that. Yeah, let them, exactly. Let them be. They've stolen it. It's their money now. No, I mean, I, it's total. It's a tough call because on one end, it's like, is it decentralized? Well, whatever. Uh, but on the other hand, it's like, I don't know. It's like a thief doesn't really deserve a platform, no matter where he is. It's like I think decentralization is really a means to an end, right? But if you have somebody who gamed the system or hacked it, like. I don't think that they necessarily are entitled to that, even if it preserves, quote unquote, more decentralization. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? I think if we reward bad behavior, we're just going to end up with the world we have now. And Web3 is intentionally built to re-incentivize actions towards goodness, fairness. That's what the whole decentralization is about. And if you get away from the ethos of decentralization and only focus on the practice of it, you're going to miss the entire point. Um so that's my thoughts on it. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm more on the, in the camp of build your systems better, right? Like if you, we had a hack very early on or, or a, uh, a compromise, which luckily we, we found uh, pretty, pretty quickly and we decided to reimburse our uh, affected people uh, ourselves, as in the co-founders decided to mm. luckily... It was only something to the tune of like a half a million dollars, but uh, you know, obviously, we wouldn't have been able to do that if it if it was uh, larger than that. But you know, that's that's why we're adamant about security and saying build things on top of things that that are fundamentally secure. The Ronin hack at the time had four validators or like maybe six validators or something yeah. like that, which you know. When you've got that much money flowing through a system like that, at, at one point, at hundreds of millions of dollars that were flowing through that system, billions of, of trading volume. Crazy. You're going to get attack vectors, especially when you, you've built this brand new network that is uh, is being held up by, you know, six people validating the, uh, the network. So I don't know. I, I mean, you know, these lessons are going to be learned. There's always going to be people who are looking for different attack vectors. I think in 10 years, it gets exponentially harder to, to be able to compromise these systems. So it's it's probably just a, a result of, of us being so early. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I also don't believe that people should just be able to steal money. Like that's obviously, yeah. <laughs> you know, not an ethical thing and, uh, and it's not cool. So, yeah. I'm kind of ambivalent, I guess. Yeah, a little bit of a little bit of a gray area, but you know, we're, we're 
the industry's young. It's still getting uh, sussed out and such things. But um, kind of from from a guy who, who's been in the industry for a long time. Um, and before we let you go, you know, this is Crypto 101. We, we always like to ask everybody um, for just one word of advice, a little bit of wisdom. And I, I like the idea of like building on security and, and really like um, hammering that home. So maybe you have another couple of words of wisdom for for new folks who are just entering the space. Yeah, just there's a lot of noise, right? Like you've got to, yeah, and, and this bear market has churned out a whole bunch of that noise and you find, yeah. okay, who's, who are the actual builders and, and who are the people that are just, you know, hyping up vaporware and, and stuff like that. But you've really, you know, to, it, the DYOR just, it gets used so much. And I think it, 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 it has a huge importance, right? Like when you actually get immersed in this space and, Again, when I first came back, I spent probably 20 hours a day. It's not easy. It's not healthy. It's not anything. <laughs> like definitely not. But that's almost what's required for you to stay on tap and, and sit there and, and learn everything about all of the different facets of, uh, of crypto. Now we've got so many different market segments and you've got Bitcoin, you've got L1s, you've got L2s, you've got NFTs now, you've got gaming. There's, there's so many different yeah. segments. I would say hone in on one, become an expert at it. And uh, and yeah, with when it comes to investing, just invest in really good teams. Love it. All right. Well, th- this has been a ton of fun. And and bef- also before we let you go, um, how can folks get involved in Alluvium? Um, is there a beta link that we could send them to? Is it just a wait and see for... Uh, for the next big announcement? No, so uh, you can go to the Alluvium website and uh, there you can register for the different betas. Uh, if you wanna play Alluvium Zero, you need to pick yourself up uh, a land plot. There's 20,000 of them that, uh, that that have been sold and are, are floating around. But, uh, but yeah, definitely. You know, join the Discord. That's where a lot of the action happens. And uh, yeah, just can't wait to to launch later this year. Killer. Kieran, thank you so much for coming on to the Crypto 101 podcast. And uh, we hope to have you back on soon uh, whenever you guys have some more fun announcements for us. Thanks, Bryce. Cheers, Pete's fun. Peace. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.